This Easter, oh, here we go, great. This Easter weekend is the high point across the world where Christians um, of every denomination celebrate the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. But I think you may have noticed if you look at the popular press around this time, also in the press and on the news, you'll get various articles that appear by a professor, for example, at one time he'll say, did Jesus really rise from the dead? Really? There was an article the BBC commissioned a survey of many people in the UK, but also of, of churchgoers to say, do you believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead? Lots of people responded and said they found that difficult to believe. When it comes down to it, often you get people who say, when I don't believe, they say, well, I really, really, really would like to believe in Jesus as a good man. Jesus who taught some nice things, you know, like treat others as you'd like to be treated yourself. In a world with Donald Trump and President Putin, with wars everywhere, that nice Jesus who does nice things, looks attractive, but the miraculous Jesus, not so sure. Yet Jesus Christ is the distinguishing feature of Christianity. Jesus is different from every other religious leader, every other founder of every other religion, in the fact that he was resurrected from the dead. All four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, attests to the fact that so this man, Jesus of Nazareth, lived, died, was buried, and then rose from the dead. The bones of Muhammad, the bones of Abraham, the bones of Buddha, the bones of Confucius, the bones of Joseph Smith, the founder of every other religion in this world, their bones are still here on earth. Jesus is unique. Jesus is in a category of one, the resurrected one. And if that's true, that Jesus is alive, it changes everything. It's not just interesting, he's in a category of one in the whole world. But the question is, with all the kind of skepticism in the world we live, can you believe it? Can we trust the evidence of the gospel readings? Does it make sense? And I'd like to point you to a few things this morning. Our reading from John provides an eyewitness account from someone called Mary Magdalene. She was there at dawn with the other Mary as they went to, the, to look at the tomb. Remember, this is the same Mary Magdalene who the Bible tells us had seven demons delivered from her. And you know, one of the things that I find most compelling about Scripture, the biblical accounts, it doesn't try and dress up things in a certain way. It just tells it as it is. This is an eyewitness account. Jesus didn't get a whole load of famous people, the most important people, the most educated people, to witness to his resurrection. It was a woman, a woman with a terrible past. And that's what the Bible says. The Gospel writer John also shows that the body of Jesus was no longer there. The tomb was empty. 
one of the towering uh, legal scholars of the 20th century, someone called Sir Norman Anderson. And after a lifetime of studying the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus, he said this, the empty tomb then forms a veritable rock on which all rationalistic theories of the resurrection have dashed themselves in vain. Now you may say, that's a long, lot of long words. What does that actually mean? And what he's saying is, what he's saying is every other alternative to believing in the resurrection has to contend with one undisputable fact of history, that the tomb of Jesus was empty. Remember, the disciples not, could not have preached the resurrection if the tomb had not been empty. They would have been found out. All it took was to somehow find the body of Jesus, dig it up, parade it around the streets, and they would, Jesus would just be one other person who'd made bold claims, but he was dead, basically, just as the Romans had left him on the cross. But in both the, the uh, empty tomb and in the witnesses of those in Scripture, we can have confidence in that it makes sense. But you may not know this, but at the time of Jesus' life, there were many people who claimed to be what messianic pretenders to the ancient, in ancient Israel. And their lives and careers, who claimed, made big claims for themselves, ended the same way as Jesus did, on a cross, dying. They ended up being killed. People who thought they were the way, thought they were the answer. And the question is, what happened to their followers? If you had a leader who made big claims and then died, actually, the followers of those particular people in ancient Israel at that time gave up following their leader. The only people who didn't give up following their leader were Jesus' followers. Why? Why didn't they give up? because the crucifixion wasn't the end of the story. They kept following Jesus because they'd seen him risen from the dead, and their hearts were changed. Back in 2007, there was a, a very famous atheist uh, called Anthony Flew, and he co-wrote a book in, um, it's on the, might be on the screen in a minute, that said, the world's most notorious atheist changed his mind after 50 years of arguing that there isn't a God. He spent his time just looking at all the evidence for Jesus and the resurrection. And what he discovered was, and he's written a book about it, that with all the scientific evidence that the life and indeed the universe itself could not exist without a creative intelligence producing it. And in a debate with a Christian, the philosopher Flew conceded that the evidence for the resurrection was the most plausible explanation for what happened to Jesus. He had no credible alternative to put to them. Yet, even though it made sense intellectually, he didn't do anything about it. He didn't become a Christian. Because, you see, you can have all the facts in the world. You can do all the rationalizing in the world. But you also need to understand that on a day like today, isn't just any other miracle, but the defining moment of God's plan for his creation. He died and rose again out of love for you and for me this morning. He rose again so that our hearts, our hearts could be ransomed, healed, 
and forgiven with a power that changes our hearts and our whole beings, not just satisfies our minds. Jesus went to the cross and was powerfully risen from the dead because he wants your hearts and my heart to be free from sin, to be free from fear, to be free from anxiety, and to be free from death itself. In fact, to give us life eternal. There's a famous Christian called St. Augustine. He said this, he said, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Let me say that again. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in you. See, when you believe in the resurrection of Jesus and it was for you personally, that it actually, what you're saying is it provides an answer to the deepest longing of our hearts, the deepest longing to our souls, and the deepest longing to our whole beings. And that the restlessness of looking to be successful, of finding love, of gaining more possessions, of being in power, of being wealthy, ultimately just lead to more restlessness. But only in the death and resurrection of Jesus can you find the life and the rest that we were created for. Today is a day where we celebrate that, what Jesus has done for us, for us personally. And because Jesus was resurrected, it means that we can have a relationship with the living Lord Jesus today. It's an amazing day to baptize Debbie on a day like today. That's what Easter weekend is about. We can be saved by him. We can be changed by him. We can talk with him. We can walk with him. We can be guided by him. And as we walk out of this church, that's what happened to the disciples that day. They walked away transformed. And that's what he wants to do for us, to make a difference in our own life here today. And because um, Jesus' death was not the end, because Jesus was raised from the dead, we have the confidence that death itself, that defeat, that disappointment, that doubt, and death itself is not the end. Resurrection is the last word. Resurrection is the last word. And the last word is eternal life. Death is not the final page. That is simply the turning of the page. And because Jesus was raised from the dead, we can be forgiven. We can be set free. We can enter and receive eternal life, knowing that Jesus Christ rose today. Jesus is alive this Easter. You can know him and walk from here transformed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you for your resurrection power, that you came to bring life and bring it in all its fullness. And through your death and ultimately your resurrection, we can receive that life today. There's going to be some words up on the screen. And if you'd like to personally respond, to affirm your faith 
and your trust and your belief in the God of resurrection. I'd well like to encourage you to say this with me this morning. The words are on the screen. Have a look at the words. Make sure you think you can say them. I'm not trying to coerce you to say them. And for those who'd like to say them, I'm going to lead us in this prayer. God of glory, by the raising of your Son, Jesus Christ, you have broken the chains of sin, death, and hell. Fill your church with faith, hope, and love. I put my trust in your resurrection today, for a new day has dawned, and the way to life stands open in our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand, we're going to sing. No, 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 not yet, not yet. Esther, Esther's got no. something to do first. We've so. got an activity now. We've been very busy here. If the children want to come with me now. Now, I'm sorry for you grown-ups, because you don't get to do the fun bit, really. But the children have made some prayer boats, which were going to float on the water. No, no. You don't want to. No, oh, you don't have to. I made to. So if your children would like to come and bring your boat or come and take one of the ones from the, um, from the basket, what we need the grown-ups to do for us is to help us do our praying because as we float our prayers and put our boats on the water, we're going to be saying prayers of thank you to God for all the good things he's done for us. And we're going to pray for one person who doesn't know Jesus to understand a bit more of his love today. So, I think we need to come right round the pool and we all need to have a boat, at, le at least one boat. If you made two, you can take two. Would you like one, Tim? Would you like that? We're going, you've done that, okay, you take that one. So we all need, and so the grown-ups are gonna help us pray with the words and we're gonna do the floating of the boats. I've still got some boats here that need help floating, so if you'd like to come and take one. I don't think we need to throw them. We need to put them gently on the surface of the water and we're going to say thank you to Jesus. As we do this, we're going to say thank you to Jesus. We've got some more boats here. So if any of the grown-ups would like to come and help. Anybody like to come and help? Anybody else? They've been very productive here. So we're saying thank you to Jesus for something. And we're going to ask Jesus to make his love known to someone who doesn't know him today. So as we float the boats on the baptismal pool, we say thank you to Jesus for all his good gifts to us. And Lord, make your love known to us all this morning. Amen.